This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today. The Big Interview, intriguing lives, remarkable careers, and gripping stories. I'm Sonal Rupani alongside Chris McCarty and Robbie Greenfield. Let's get stuck into this interview then with Chris Voss. He's the FBI's lead international hostage and kidnapping negotiator between the years 2003 to 2007. Over 150 hostage negotiations and he had an incredible success he rate. He did indeed, yeah. He was pointing out, did Chris, that uh, the success rate by and large for hostage negotiators, and this might surprise many, is 93%. And when I asked him what his success rate was, he said it's probably about on average, if not a little higher. As we said a little earlier, he spent 24 years working in the FBI crisis negotiation unit. Now, he did point out and he did tell me that in actual fact, he was part of the SWAT team. And what ended up happening, he had a chronic knee injury, a reoccurring knee injury that forced him down the path and when he sat down with his kind of career advisor and his his superior it was kind of he was led to believe that becoming a hostage negotiator was the right way for him and his skill set so let's start what is a hostage if I was to ask you what is a hostage negotiator what's the first thing that comes to mind well I, I have this vision of you know a man standing by a window um, brandishing a gun or you know just some, something you know like it's again sorry to be a bit Chris McCarty here but it's all pop culture <laughs> it's film related it's it's a guy on a phone Jack Bauer style yeah. and it's all sort of husky tones and various sort of leveraging going on and ultimatums and yeah there's probably it, a group it, of people tied to a group of chairs and <laughs> Yeah, it's all very okay. cliched and textbook. It, it's very silver screen is what it is, Rob. But I wanted to ask Chris that question because when I think of a hostage negotiator, in essence, I think of a psychologist. You're trying to tap into the psyche of the individual or the individuals mm. who are doing well, doing the wrong. Whilst wearing dark sunglasses, of course. Whilst wearing dark sunglasses and a bulletproof vest. Let's yeah. see what Chris had to say. Well, you know, it was at one time, I mean, it's a, really a better description um, is neuroscience if you will, because we learned, you know, the emotional reactions in the brain, which still are thinking actually result in chemical reactions, actual hard science, which we didn't have really up until maybe the last five to 10 years. And we knew that we could change people's moods and their, how, how they would cooperate and how they would think by our tone of voice or, or by focusing in on different emotional things that, that they said. So, and emotional intelligence is really just is really just based on neuroscience. There are chemical changes that occur in the brain as a result of emotional changes, and that's really what it is. Psychology was okay, you know, it was a really soft science because psychology is really kind of like trying to figure out what's going on in another room when you can hear what's being said but you can't see what's going on. And neuroscience then adds in actually showing us what's going on in that room in the brain. He's got the kind of voice that would persuade me to yeah, I do tell something. You, you want to stick with this interview because he starts explaining how important the voice in your tone is. So that's it. So he's talking then about neuroscience. It's a little, not, not demeaning to say psychologist. He says that it's much more than that. It's about the neuroscience. It's about understanding mm. that. That's the kind of basis of what a hostage negotiator is. So what about the do's? What areas do you have to focus in on with a hostage taker? The first thing you look for in, in a hostage siege is the people that you're dealing with will have experienced some sort of a loss that in their perspective justifies a violent reaction. And it's going to be some sort of a deep loss, and it's probably going to have to do uh, mostly along two lines. 
how they see themselves as human beings and something that affects how they're making a living or whether or not they can make a living. Now, the crazy thing about that was we found out that in dialing into the loss, if you will, was the fastest way to get a great relationship with someone. Show them you understand. For, you know, not agree, not disagree, not criticize. Just show them you understand. This is like back in the 1970s, and that's why this is this becomes neuroscience and why it applies to business. In 2002, Daniel Kahneman wins a Nobel Prize in behavioral economics, effectively saying that loss is the single dri- biggest driver of all human decision making. We were taught to look for loss in hostage negotiation, and back then I just thought it had to do with bad guys, criminals, and terrorists. Daniel Kahneman, and actually with Amos Tversky's help, a couple of Israeli psychologists, Tversky died by the time they gave out the Nobel Prize. That's the only reason he didn't get it. They come along and they say, nah, it's not just bad guys, it's everybody. Loss impacts our thinking, and it's it's, it's the single biggest impact on decision-making. So as a hostage negotiator, I'm pre-wired to figure out what is it that motivates everybody, not just bad guys. Loss. Yeah, I found that fascinating. Loss, loss. In, in the sense of what? Loss Lo- of position, loss of exactly. income? All of it. A loss of of a loved one, perhaps, can change the, I guess, your, your kind of psyche and the way that you think. could be loss of a job. It could be loss of money. And what he was saying there is that far more intelligent people than you and I, Rob, have actually studied this and to find that anyone, it's not just bad guys, quote, unquote, anyone's psyche and outlook can change with loss. Fundamentally, in his experience, loss was the root cause of so many of the hostage negotiations that he was involved in. What about, though, getting an individual to open up? And I want to ask you that question. How mm. do you, Rob, when yeah. you are... Why are you asking me? I don't know. <laughs> Go on. How do you get? How do you gain trust and build rapport with someone? Well, you've got to listen, okay? Which you're not great at. I'm not... You've asked me the question. <laughs> right, sorry. You've got to be empathetic. You've got to show them that you understand where they're coming from, I would assume. Interesting. The first thing you do, I mean, it sounds stupid, but it's, it's magical. If I use the right tone of voice, this gets us back to the neuroscience. If I use what we call now the late night FM DJ voice, <laughs> that voice is like that. That tone, actually, everybody who could hear that, it hits their mirror neurons in their brain. And it actually causes a neuroscience chemical change in the brain that actually slows both thinking and emotions. It automatically calms people down. It's an involuntary response. It's like when the doctor taps your knee with the little hammer and your knee kicks. That's an involuntary neuroscience response. So they taught us that way back when. They didn't know why it worked. They just knew it worked. Now, if I slow your brain down, and now I just start, I start hitting you basically with probes, you know, just sort of educated emotional intelligence guesses. And I word them a certain way. I'll say, well, it sounds like, it sounds like something really bad happened to you. Well, you're very likely to then, because you're dying to tell me anyway. Everybody's dying to express themselves. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you're a terrorist or if you're a, a DJ, if you're a radio host in Dubai. You're dying to express yourself. So if I give you the slightest hint that I'm actually going to listen, it opens the floodgates. And that's what we find out with the bad guys. You know, all right, so they suffered a loss, they're upset, use a late-night FM DJ voice, 
you know, go on a little bit of a dance, let them lead the dance, but you're looking for very specific moves. You're looking for anger. You're looking for negative emotions. Again, this gets us back to neuroscience. Negative emotions cloud our thinking by a three-to-one ratio, three-to-one ratio. Three-quarters of the emotional architecture in your brain is designed to facilitate negativity. If I can turn that down, if I can shut it down, I can change the ratio and I can change your thinking. Uh, don't you find it amazing? Welcome yeah. to Late Night <laughs> FM Radio. <laughs> you are a hostage negotiator. <laughs> but don't you find that interesting there? And, and this is a man who studied the, the kind of mind cl- clearly, in-depthly. Yeah. He's yeah. talking about three-to-one ratio. We as humans are hot-wired to have three times as many negative thoughts as mm. positive ones. So you're constantly fighting that battle. Your mind's about 30 to 1. <laughs> I was going to say, you are probably a little bit more in that ratio. I'm probably flipped. I like to think I'm a positive chap. Yeah. But listening to that there, that, that kind of amazed me. And the fact that he was going into a role, he was becoming an actor. The, the tone, the, the subtleties and change of tone and the way that you structure sentences, etc. He's got to be conscious of all of that. I wanted to get, though, and this might surprise many. Just how honest are you when you have a hostage taker who's explaining his reasons mm. for doing it or her reasons for doing it? Do you share your own stories, your own anecdotes to build that rapport? This is what Chris had to say. Yeah, you know, that's a great question because you just, you just hit on two things. Do we have to have common ground to establish trust and rapport? And a hostage negotiator, I start with the premise that I'm never going to have common ground with the other side. And I established trust and rapport anyway. A common ground people look for is a hack for understanding. They say if you haven't shared the same experience, you can't understand. Yes. Well, since we're all wired as, as human beings, and I know that loss and negativity are the things that are driving you, I can show understanding without having gone through it. Like with if you know if I I learned from the suicide hotline that, and this was before my parents died. But that when when a parent dies, it leaves a very huge hole in your life. You feel like there's a hole that you can't can't fill. So I'm on a suicide hotline. Somebody calls in, they're grieving, they're suicidal because they they've lost a parent. I say, wow, that sounds like that left a big hole in your life. Now I haven't lost either of my parents, but I can understand what the dynamic is that's not required for me to have experienced it to understand it. If you can separate those two things out, then what that does is it turns this negotiation skill, this tactical empathy, if you will, into a superpower. You can use it on anybody. Tactical empathy into a superpower. His words, not mine. Listening to that. It's very calculated, isn't it? it? I mean, of course, course it it has to be, but... You're looking for any cue with which the hostage taker is going to give you, you know, and and again, listening to him there, it, it kind of makes you think, my goodness, your senses have to be so in tune because you're looking for every little nuance that you can find. This isn't negotiation. This is manipulation. Well, that leads on quite nicely because you say manipulation there. This leads on to the big don'ts. As a negotiator, what can you not do? What is not in? And I referred it to as the manual. You know, the one to tens, the don'ts, if you are a hostage negotiator. And I, and I tell you what, from what you've just said there, Rob, this might surprise you. You know, one of, the, one of the crazy ones is never lie. I mean, just don't lie. Don't try to make up an experience that the other person has a, hasn't, that you haven't had in an effort to establish common ground, which is real common. 
you know, don't it, it, it sounds simple to not lie, but you know, there's lies of omission and there's lies of commission. Like if a bad guy were to say to me, you know, uh, you understand so well, you must have gone through something like this yourself. I'll say, no, I haven't. Or if they say, wow, then you agree with me. And I'll, and I'll say, no, you know what? I don't agree with you. I understand where you're coming from. But let's be clear. I, you know, I, I don't agree with you. Or if they say to me, you just try to be my friend. I'm not trying to be their friend. I say, no, I'm not trying to be your friend. I'm trying to genuinely understand. You know, there are a lot of little lies that you could tell in an effort to establish a relationship. There are little lies, there are big lies, there are lies of commission, there are lies of omission. And learn what all those are and just not don't, no matter what. And in point of fact, because one of two things is going to happen. The other side's a better liar than you are, and they're just testing you. They want to see if you'll lie. Or, let's say you pull the lie off, they're going to find out. And then when you have to pay for that, then all trust is broken forever. Because now you're a liar. That shocked me mm. a little bit. I'll be very honest. When he yeah. says there, you're my friend. No, I'm really not. And, and that, to me, my understanding of the situation, and this probably shows a little of my ignorance and my naivety in this, is that you would think to build that rapport, you have to say, yeah, I am your friend. I'm, I'm here for you. But he's having none of that. You can find a common ground. It's an obvious lie, though, isn't it? Because any well, well, hostage taker with their head screwed on, and probably a lot of them don't, but... But you know what I mean, though, Rob? You you would think, and again, I'm no psychologist, yeah. and if, but, you know, if you just confirm that, yeah, I'm your friend, I'm here to listen to you, you, you think by saying I'm your friend, by just putting that word out there into the ether, that you're building that rapport. It's about getting into the psyche of that individual, whereas he's saying no. And and if you if someone says, you're my friend, right? And he's saying no, that is a negative. You would think that could spark off the individual, but he is saying more that more important than anything else, find common ground, yes, but more importantly is be truthful at all times. Try and understand it, but be truthful. So when things are asked of you and it's not the case, then you've got to tell the hostage taker that it isn't. I'm going to conduct a little experiment <laughs> based on what Chris Voss, the chief FBI negotiator, has told us thus far. I will try and get Chris McCarty to play ball, right. okay? Chris. <laughs> Don't have to put it on that. No, no, yeah, you do, you do. You need to speak in a voice of a late night radio DJ, apparently. Okay, come on then. Uh, Chris, you know, it's something we always go through when we. It's not Tiger Woods speaking <laughs> to me, is it? When we go to the late night establishment, we all have to go up there and maybe get around and drinks in. <laughs> Can't he take you seriously? Now, I, I appreciate that you are Scottish <laughs> and that does not come easily to you. But what do you say? You can buy the drinks, my friend. <laughs> that negotiation failed. That voice of yours. Uh, and, uh, dear, as Thomas pointed out, it did sound like you were trying to seduce me there. Thanks well, very I much for that, I can guarantee you I was not. That is a big fat no thank you on that front. But well, it, yes. I failed, but Chris Voss, very successful, 93% hit rate. So we've heard of the do's and don'ts. What about famous cases that stand out? He's worked in over 150 of them, did Chris Voss. Which ones, though, stood out above all others? I worked a couple of different cases in the Philippines, and the first one where we lost a hostage due to friendly, a friendly fire rescue attempt. Um, in that one, and I was coaching the negotiation, what I really am is an, an international negotiation coach. I know human nature. I can coach negotiations anywhere in the world. If you understand your market, your industry, your culture, I don't need to know your culture to know how human beings are wired. 
And we had a, uh, the, I was coaching a negotiation, and we had a great relationship, negotiator to negotiator, and the bad guys on the other side betrayed their own negotiator. Now, we accurately read our negotiator as dealing with us in good faith. He just didn't know that his organization wasn't going to support him. And so getting understanding how to make sure that your counterpart doesn't get cut off by their own side was something I had to learn after that. And we, you know, it was the first time I worked a case where somebody got killed and I, you know, it, it mattered to me. It, 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 it meant it, uh, it hurt. It was, uh, which is a little selfish to say because it wasn't my family member. That's why I'm struggling saying that it was a negative experience to me. You know, what did I lose? I lost, I lost a customer, somebody else, you know, they lost a, a father, they lost mm-hmm. a brother, they lost a, you know, they lost a, a husband listening to him there, I lost a customer. It's quite clinical, that, when he says it like that. He does go on in that little uh, bit of the interview. I did ask him about whether he kind of stayed in touch, and he said that he did. He, he stayed in touch with the individual who lost their life. He stayed in touch with the son there, that he, he acted in good faith, but the bad guys, as he put them, they actually went against the negotiator who he was dealing with on their behalf. So... I mean, even death, wow. I mean, he said it at the top of this interview, success rate around about 93. The average success rate was about 93%. That is what Chris Voss and all the 150-plus cases that he dealt with, that was about his success rate with these negotiations. But I wanted to find out a little bit more. The Negotiator, famous film, Samuel L. Jackson, Kevin Spacey. I actually did put it to him because in that film, I mean, how does it all work? If you are in a tense hostage negotiation that is lasting I don't know, 24 hours. Is there someone that comes in? You know, we do a, a day day job, a, a day shift of nine, 10 hours. How does it work for a negotiator? Do you hand over the baton to one of your colleagues to then take on? You know, you know what I mean, though? How did it all work? You got to work in shifts. And actually, they're, you know, the physical characteristics of every hostage negotiation, you're going to be able to predict really easy how long it's going to take based on what are they saying, how many of them are there, where are they if they're not in their home residence if they're in a place of business it's really hard for it to last more than 24 hours because they're just going to run out of gas they're not going to get any sleep they don't have any place to eat you know it's it's very limited as to how long we as human beings we have a circadian rhythm it doesn't matter if you're a terrorist or if you're a radio host you (laughs) The biology is inescapable, so we got to look at the external um, surroundings and human biology, and then you can predict how long it's going to happen. That bank robbery with hostages that I negotiated in in Brooklyn way back when, it took 12 hours, and in a typical siege like that, they have a tendency to take 12 hours. And what happened in that one in Brooklyn? They came. They came out voluntarily. The uh, the first the first bank robber to surrender surrendered to me personally. Hear it there. So surrendered to me personally. So he did his job. And there's there's definitely a there's a pride and, a, and an ego to yeah. to his work. I think he would admit as much. Absolutely. I Just mean, the way he said that there. Yeah. He he surrendered personally to me. It's not yeah. to anyone else. It's to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're I right. I beat him. That. There's a co- yeah. 
there's a confidence there. There is a, there is undoubtedly that, and I guess that confidence you need that confidence, right, in the nature of the business. What about demands? Whenever you watch any yeah. films, you always think I need Call millions that. of dollars. You need a, a fully fueled jet to be on yeah. the runway to take me to some far flung exotic I need location. A new passport and a one way ticket to the Cayman Islands. Essentially, right. I wanted to ask him about the demands in general. I appreciate everyone's got different demands, but in general, is what we see in the films season tickets to Manchester United. <laughs> Is it true? Well, those kind of demands, those are actually really good. You're hoping they make those demands because here's what that demand indicates, which means I'm going to win. <laughs> it indicates they want to live. It indicates they want to make a deal. If they have an escape demand, the nature of somebody's demands always gives you a real clear picture if you know what to look for as to whether or not you can make a deal. And the first thing is the demand for escape guy on the other side is telling me he's got a vision of living beyond today wow awesome i can work with that it's when there's when there's no escape demand or if there's a demand that they know is ridiculous like what give us an example Um, of a demand that would scare the the life out of you if you were to to hear it well uh, when we were working al-qaeda kidnappings you know in the 2004 time frame and the U.S. had a very happy presence in Iraq, they'd say, well, look, and we had one kidnapping in particular. They said, we need all the women out of Iraqi jails in 72 hours. Now, there's two problems with that, which they know. Number one, nobody knows for sure whether or not there were any women in Iraqi jails. And so for us to even figure that out was going to take more than 72 hours. Number two, if we agreed it would still take us more than 72 hours to pull that off. So the other side makes a demand that they know you can't fulfill. That's setting you up for failure, which they know on some level. They know that they're not negotiating in good faith. So spotting bad faith negotiations is an issue in business and it's an issue in hostage negotiation. Fascinating stuff from Chris Voss. Powerful stuff as well. Great to have that little chat with Chris Voss, one of the leading FBI hostage negotiators. He has also co-authored that book, Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if your life depend on it. It's sold in 31 countries, 26 different languages. It's been a huge bestseller. He is a very interesting man. He had an awful lot besides that to say. I'm sure we'll hear from more from Chris Voss in the future months as well. A really nice guy and I Thank you indeed for his time. Thank you for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you could subscribe, rate, and give us a review. This podcast was presented by Chris McCarty, Sonal Rupani, and Robbie Greenfield, and produced by Tom Paul Smith. We hope you join us next time on The Big Interview.